going to be back. We're back in the book of Ecclesiastes today. Through normal weeks of the month, we're in the Gospel of John, which is getting really good. Next week's going to be awesome. Next week is my favorite passage in the book of John, so you don't want to miss that. But today we are back in the book of Ecclesiastes, which is uh, an amazingly current book. One of the constant refrains in Ecclesiastes is that there's nothing new under the sun, and as we've been going through that, we're finding out that that's true. And uh, So could I ask you to please stand one more time as uh, out of respect for the reading of God's Word? Uh, the Word says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. So let's listen intently together to God's inerrant Word. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 9 from verse 1 through verse 12. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is, it is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and to the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. The same event happens to all. Also the hearts of, children, hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. The living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, their envy have all perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going." Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, no favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. We thank you, Lord, for your word, even these stark passages. And Lord, we learn as we read through them that as stark as the picture of under the sun is that you give us, that even in that it is merciful and that nowhere in the Bible do you leave us without a glimpse of the beauty of Jesus. So we pray you would help us to see that 
today as we study your word, Lord, give us minds to understand and hearts to obey your perfect word as you beautify your afflicted ones. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. There's this, uh, this part in 1 Corinthians 15 in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul is talking about the day of, rede- of, of, or talking about the resurrection. And he quotes this proverbial saying that says, it says, uh, basically it says, eat, drink, eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And if you read this, if you just kind of read this fast or read this through uh, quickly or read this with your religion department goggles on, instead of a, a, a Christ-centered interpretive method. If you'd read through it real quick, this section of Ecclesiastes, the preacher here, seems to be saying the same thing as that proverbial saying. In other words, he's saying, life is short, and then you die, so party hard because that's all you get. Did it sound like that when I was reading it? Tell the truth. I mean, kind of, Right? But there's a, there's a word for this now, YOLO, right? Super annoying. You only live once. That's the sentiment that's, uh, that people would try to say. Some people, try, some, some people who try to discredit the Bible love the book of Ecclesiastes because on a cursory reading it seems to say all these things like you only live once, life is short, then you die, party hard because it's all you get. I have a, a friend of mine in his band, he, he, he put together the two, the two acronyms, Froyo for frozen yogurt, and YOLO for you only live once, and he's written this song called Froyolo. I don't think he's trying to be brilliant in it, but it's really kind of brilliant because it, it really sums up the sentiment of YOLO as being just about as substantive as a bowl of frozen yogurt. Certainly there must be something more to life than just party hard, and then tomorrow you die. Everybody, we all know there's got to be something more to it than that. Uh, and, uh, and that's exactly what Solomon is saying here. And that's the same thing Paul is saying too in 1 Corinthians. When he, makes, when he quotes that proverbial statement, eat, drink, for tomorrow we die, he's arguing against it. He's arguing against this whole you only live once idea because for the Christian, that's not true. For the Christian, the resurrection changes everything. And Solomon is in this passage saying the exact same thing as Paul. He's actually arguing against that idea when you read it closely. He is saying, yes, death is certain and unpredictable. He's saying, yes, we should enjoy all of God's blessing in this life to its fullest but he's also saying that's not the end of the story for those chosen by God and joined to the living, i.e. those who have been given eternal life. For those people, for us, for those of us who know Jesus, the best is yet to come. And so the big idea, thesis statement of this passage is this. that Even though we live and die in the shadow of death, There are still so many blessings from God in the world and the best is yet to come. Even though we live and die in the shadow of death, there are so many blessings from God in the world and the best is yet to come. 
Let's look at that one part at a time. First, even though we live and die in the shadow of death, look at verses 1 through 3, right? 1 through 3. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Talking about providence right from the gate. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It's the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and to the unclean, to him who sacrifices, him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is one who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun that the same event happens to all. Now what's the event? Death. The event is death. He's talking about death again. Solomon, everybody's been going through this. It's death, 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 death. We need a metal soundtrack for this, for this book. It's all he ever wants to talk about. Why are we always talking about this morbid fascination with death? Here he goes again. Seriously. I think he's, he's giving us two reasons. Both of them reality checks. The first one is this. Reality check number one is that the knowledge of death serves as an early warning system. Knowledge of death serves as an early warning system. At our, at our men's group last night, Thomas Scalata uh, shared this story with us of this TED Talk. This EMT, an early, an early responder, first responder EMT from New York City is telling his story in this TED Talk. And he's say, what, the story was about he, as a first responder, would often come across people in hor- horrible accidents. Everybody Okay. <laughs> Awesome. He would come across people in these horrific car accidents who were literally minutes from death, but conscious and talking to him. And they would ask him, am I going to die? And he said for the first five years of his career or so, or for the first part of his career, he thought the merciful thing to do would be to lie to them and say, we're doing everything we can, you're going to be okay, and just allow them to kind of pass into eternity not knowing that they were about to die for fear of them being terrified, uh, for fear of them facing that, that reality with terror and fear and freaking out. And he was trying to save, that, save them from that reality. But then he, he said that about five years ago, he came across a motorcycle accident where the guy was severely injured. He knew he had minutes to live. The guy asked, looks at him, asked the same question, am I going to die? Can you imagine being in that, that reality, that being your job? And he said, for some reason, he decided, to, he changed his mind, and he told him, yes. You've got a few minutes to live. And he said, that guy, and almost universally, everybody since then, and he told several stories about a woman T-boned in a car, and they're trying to cut her out while she's bleeding out, and just all these stories, all these stories about people. Whenever he looked at them, honestly, he said, yes, you're going to die. Three things happened. First, there was a universal sense of a need for forgiveness. They started asking this guy. They started confessing their guilt, the things that they regretted in life, and literally asking this EMT to forgive them for these things that they had done in life. 
Second thing was um, they, they, they asked that if anybody would remember them. There was this wish or desire or this, this fading hope for immortality that they hoped to gain by people remembering them after they were gone. And the third thing was they all would, said that they wished that their lives had been more meaningful. They wished that they'd had more meaning in their lives. And so I think all, the first thing, why Solomon's always talking about death, why the Bible talks so honestly about death, is that it's Solomon's way of bringing us into that moment ahead of time so that we can really rightly assess these things now before it's too late. Because listen, honestly, for, if you are not a Christian in this room, you do not want to be faced with figuring out the big, capital T, truth, metaphysical, big questions of life, like forgiveness, like guilt, like meaning, when your femoral artery is bleeding out and you've got three minutes to live. That's not enough time. You are almost guaranteed to get it wrong. And so Solomon, I think, in this passage, is bringing us face to face with the reality of death that nobody gets away from it so that we will have it as an, as an early warning to think through these questions ahead of time. Where is salvation to be found? Where is forgiveness to truly be found? Where is meaning in life? Where can I take care of this guilt that I have? Those are good questions to ask. He's going to answer them for us in a little bit. Second thing, second reality check for this passage, a little bit more refined for this passage, is that he's saying that death is not an indicator of God's love or hate. In other words, those are Hebraic, Hebrew categories, meaning favor or disfavor. Physical death is not an indicator of God's favor or disfavor on a person because everybody dies. I was um, reading this story, a friend of mine sent me this story the other day of this temple that they found in Turkey, uh, and they found, they, their archaeological dig, they ended up finding these just massive piles of skulls that were engraved in this ceremonial thing, and ironically in the midst of the bones of sacrificial animals, which was in itself a distant memory of the animal sacrifice given to Noah, and before that given to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, seeking in vain atonement from the gods. Uh, but the, the point is that there was these huge piles of skulls. And I was thinking about this, about these huge piles of skulls, and I was thinking about the catacombs in Christian Rome, where you go in those catacombs, or you go to ancient monasteries, and what do you find? You find the same thing. You find these big piles of skulls. There's, there's this ancient Greek poem called Discourse and Pessimism, which sounds fascinating, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> there's this part in the story where the servant talks to his, his master is about to do something awful, uh, and he, 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 say, he, he exhorts his master. He says, go up onto the hills to the great site of worship and look at the piles of skulls and tell me who is the righteous and who is the unrighteous. Who are the good and who are the evil? In other words, he's, he's trying to tell him that at death comes to everybody. You can't look at a skull and say, this man was evil, this man was wicked. Death comes to everyone. In theological terms, in biblical terms, 
we talk about that in the, in, in the sense of what we call the imputation of Adam's sin. Imputation is a big word that means laid the responsibility of, or laid the responsibility on, or, or means guilty for. In the Bible, especially in Romans chapter 5, Paul makes this argument that everybody, because of Adam's sin in the garden, God has counted or laid the responsibility of that sin on every man, woman, and child that's ever been born from Adam so that we are all guilty of that sin that he did even though we didn't commit it. And because of that, because of that reason, that is why everyone dies, whether good or whether evil. If you're descended from Adam... You have been imputed with or counted or credited the guilt of Adam's sin. And that's why, and the penalty for that, the Bible says, is death. And so ultimately, our EMT friend, as he's filling out the death certificates of people that he's just talked to, to be totally accurate, instead of saying cause of death, trauma, cancer, cardiac arrest, pneumonia, complications, HIV, he needs to say, cause of death, imputation of Adam's sin. The whole world is under the judgment of God and no one gets out alive. And so, how are we supposed to respond to these harsh realities? Some people give up in despair. Some people get angry at God. Some people say that imputation of original sin, that's ridiculous and unfair. Uh, but Solomon gives us a different way of looking and a different way of responding. gives us two things. He gives us a consolation and a hope. A temporary solution and an eternal solution. Which brings us to point two. Point one, even though we live and die in the shadow of death, two, there are still so many blessings from God in the world. Look at verses 7 through 10. Go eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved of what you do. Let your garments always be white. Let not oil be lacking from your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Now he's talking in general terms about Sheol. Sometimes Sheol means the realm of the dead, sometimes Sheol just means the grave, sometimes Sheol just means death itself. So he's, in that sent, sentence at the end, he's talking in a general sense saying what we just talked about. Everybody's going to die, everybody's going to Sheol. And then, but if you, you know, you read this, as I was reading it, at the, at the, you know, just now I'm reading this talk about death, 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 and then without really any warning, he just turns this corner and says, go, Eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with merry heart, for God has approved what you do. It's kind of a hard corner to turn right there in the text. And this is not the first time Solomon has said something like this, that this is actually the sixth, the sixth 
time out of seven times total that Solomon commands us with this commandment, which is basically enjoy life. So we've talked about this a bunch, but it, each time he hits us with it, he hits us with a little bit different angle. This one is actually the longest of all these passages, and it's unique in a couple of ways. It's unique, first of all, in that these are all command verbs, rather than just saying, you know, commending enjoyment of life or commending the drinking of wine. Now he's, 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 these are imperative verbs, meaning this is like a commandment from God. One commentator said that there is a moral urgency in the Bible to enjoy life and to enjoy the blessings of God. Go, eat, drink, enjoy, do, all these imperative words. But I think the, the big takeaway from this for us is that in this section, he answers, at least in part, one of the big evangelical questions that everybody asks, which is, what is the will of God for my life? You ever ask that? You ever get paralyzed with fear about it? Like, oh, what if I do the wrong thing? What if I'm supposed to take that job instead of this job? What if I'm supposed to do this instead of that? And just get paralyzed with fear and worry. Did I already blow it? Did I already take a, you know, did I take a wrong turn when I was 17 and now I'm just, it's over for me? People get wrapped around the axle with this stuff. What is God's will for my life? Now, the, the typical and good and stoic Presbyterian answer to this is usually 1 Thessalonians 4.3. This is the will of God, your sanctification. <laughs> which, you know, which is good news, really. What it's saying is that you don't have to like, guess which job to take. Basically, the will of God for our lives is that, he improve, is that by His Spirit, in the ordeals and the trials and the blessings and the means of grace that he gives to us in this life, that he, is in, that he is strengthening us and bringing us more into the character of Jesus, and that that's happening, God's working behind the scenes in any decision you make to make that happen. So that just in itself takes a bunch of the paralysis out of what am I, you know, how do I make sure that I'm doing God, God's will. God is sanctifying us, and that's good. But, if moral improvement were the totality of God's will for us, that would be good, yes, but it would also be a hard truth because sanctification produces the joy of maturity in the Lord and all that, but it also means a lot of refining, burning fire, chiseling, hard things that God allows in our lives to bring us there. So that's not entirely a happy thought. If that was all we knew about God's will, we would be very stoic. But this is what God, listen to what this is saying. This is what it is in, in, verse, in 9, verse 7, literally when it says that God has already approved of what you do, really the, the dictionary definition of that is that God is pleased. God is pleased with what you do. God is willing that you do this. In other words, the will for God, the will part of, a big part of God's will for us is that we celebrate life, we celebrate family, and we celebrate the vocation that God has given us to do in the world. Those three things, big categories that he pulls out. To celebrate life. Go eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart. For God 
has already approved of what you do. In other words, God is pleased by this. Let your garments always be white. Let oil not be lacking on your head. Those are, he, those are Jewish terms for festival, right? At the festivals of, 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 of the Jews, they would dress in white and they would put oil or perfume. They'd get all dressed up, put perfume on their head. They'd get all smelling good. And they would go to the temple and they would eat the sacrifices and they would have a big feast and they would glorify God. And yet he says, he says, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine, which are the staple foods of life. So I think what he's saying is, he's like, eat every meal like it's a big party. Have every meal like it's a big, treat it like it's a blessing, festival, glorifying God every time you sit down to eat. And in all the things that God, all the material blessings that God has given us, praise him for that. And live a life of rejoicing. Paul says that all over the New Testament. And there's a place where we need to have contrite spirits. Be honest about our sins. We come here every week. We confess our sins to God with a humble and contrite heart. But then God is, reaffirms his covenant love for us and we to rejoice. We should be rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in your salvation. It says it's all over the place. Does it not? You know, we were shopping, me and we had a men's group last night. We did a big Korean barbecue. Norman cooked it for us. And we're at the, we're at the H Mart up in Mira Mesa buying, you know, 57 pounds of meat. And, and I had just been studying this all day. And I look at Norman and I go, you know what this is? This is God's will. <laughs> I was like, we're going to have a big Korean barbecue party. And this is Ecclesiastes 9 7. Enjoy life. Enjoy your bread and wine. Praise God for this is his will for you in life. It's why we threw a big party a few weeks ago, Summer Solace. We believe that the coming of the Lord of God and the forgiveness of sins and the atonement made is worth having a party for and saying, yes, praise God. He has saved us for everything we do. The new member meal we're about to enjoy right after this fun, parties, going to the beach, enjoying and embracing life and having a good time, God's will for us. Amen? Yes. And then the second thing, celebrate family. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. Amen. You know, this is typified in, for most of us, this is typified in marriage and the beauty of the covenant relationship of marriage and going through life with someone. For many of us, this is going to be expressed in family. For those of us called to singleness, friendship, church, family, uh, maybe houses full of adopted children, relationships which are the wealth of life. Invest in them. Enjoy them. Praise God for them. And say, this is God's will. This is God's blessing in the midst of the fall. The beauty of it. And finally, celebrate vocation. What, the work that you do. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. I think Paul quotes this in Colossians 3.23 where he says, Whatever you do, work heartily as unto the Lord, for you are servants of the Lord Christ. 
he's talking about a, a term that we call vocation in the church, which means that, that everybody, God has placed each and every one of us in a specific place in our lives, in a network of friends and people, at a certain job, at a certain place, at a certain time, to be witnesses for Jesus in that effort. That, that the, pastor is an, an, the pastor or being a pastor isn't any more of a holy calling than the plumber or the attorney or the accountant or the photographer or whatever it is that you do, that all of those things are vocational mission. And we as a church are super intent on building that consciousness up among us so that we all realize that we are all missionaries wherever God has placed us. We hope to send 10% of you out to the Middle East, to, to Sudan, to China, to wherever. But for the rest of us, vocationally, God has placed us where we are to do everything with all our might as if serving God as a witness so that our good works would be so apparent people would glorify our God in heaven and create roads to where we can speak of the gospel and share of our hope of Jesus. So, what's God's will? Sanctification? Yes. (laughs) Yes. But celebrate life, celebrate family, celebrate vocation. And so at this point, you might say, okay, great, but then we die, right? That's what he's saying. Celebrate all these things, enjoy all these things in life, but then we die. So what's the point? Point is point three. The best is yet to come. Look at verses, the second half of verse three through verse 5. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. The living know that they will die but the dead know nothing and they have no more reward for the memory of them is forgotten. Now, Yes, this is reflecting the sad truth that the general state of mankind is a state where our hearts are full of evil and madness is in our hearts while we live. Madness is a biblical word for unbelief in Ecclesiastes. When he says madness, he says you're crazy for not acknowledging the God in heaven. That's madness. And so the there is for a group of people an end that is everything the EMT said people are afraid of. No forgiveness. They are forgotten. And their lives come to no meaning in the end. And that's a sad, that's a sad reality. But in the very middle of this section... There's this memorable verse. It says, But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. Now, listen, the experts, the experts, most of the experts, I think, will say that this means that the living are better off than the dead because they're still alive. And that's it. 
But I think there's a couple or a few reasons why I think it says something else. The first is that it's a contrast, but it's talking about this sad state of mankind who is evil and in madness and who is, there is no end. And then he contrasts that with, but he who is joined with all the living has hope. And a literal translation of this out of the Hebrew text, not out of the Greek text. The Greek text is different. But if you just read straight up what the Hebrew text says in the portion of, in, in, in the main section of the text, this is what it says. It says, but he who is chosen unto the living has a secure trust. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. Now, what if, the, what if the dog and the lion are wisdom categories? What if they're talking about humility and pride, like this whole, you know, like all the wisdom literature talks about? What if he's saying that the, the peasant farmer in the middle of China who nobody knows about, no account guy, but he believes in Jesus, the dog, is, a ta- is, is part of the living, while the Hollywood mogul, the international businessman, the famous rock star, who in our cultural terms is a lion, is really dead. I think it says this, paraphrased. I think it says, well, one more thing. Secure trust, hope, same, same word, used in Isaiah and Second Kings to mean a trust in God to save from calamity. I think it means this. I think it means those chosen by God for eternal life have a secure hope because the eternally living humble are better off than the proud dead. Am I right? I don't know. I'm not one of the experts. I'm just a Hebrew TA. What do I know? (laughs) But it makes sense. And here, even on top of that, here is something even more remarkable. In the Jewish day, in the Jewish celebration of the Day of Atonement, once a year the Jewish nation would get together for the Day of Atonement when God would atone for all of their sins. And at the end of that celebration, after atonement had been made, the rabbis would read Ecclesiastes 9.7. They would read, go, commands, imperative verbs, commands, go and eat your bread, drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved of what you do. Isn't, listen, what, what that's saying is this, that God had the, Isra- the, the, the Israelites for thousands of years. The Jews were commanded to celebrate their atonement, their forgiveness of sins, with a celebration of bread and wine. Where would that come from? Well, we would say it's a foreshadowing of the final atonement made by Jesus on the cross for us. An atonement that we still celebrate every week with bread and wine. And what we celebrate, what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper, and this is the last point I'm going to make, celebrate in the Lord's Supper is the other great imputation in the Bible. Now, earlier I said that everybody dies because we are imputed 
with the guilt of Adam's first sin. Even though you didn't do it, God has imputed that sin to you and that's why everybody dies. If that were the end of the story, you could probably rightly say, how is that fair? How is that fair that I'm counted as guilty for this sin that my great, 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 great grandfather did? How is that fair? If it was by itself, it wouldn't be fair, but it's fair because there is another great stream of imputation in the Bible, of being credited for something else that someone has done, and that is the imputation of Christ's righteousness. In other words, we, when we believe in Jesus, meaning we believe, we put our trust in the work that he has done for us, we are imputed with his righteousness, his perfect sinless life is credited to us. It's, we, are ha- we are given responsibility for it. It is laid on us in the same way. And so that makes, that makes it fair. Why? Because, listen, if God had not done it this way, if God had not at the very beginning taken one righteous man who was created good, who had every possible chance of being faithful to God in the commandments, uh, if, he, if, if he didn't do it that way, then everybody who would ever live would be responsible for perfect righteousness per- personally. Everybody would have been responsible for doing for the trial that Adam had in the garden of keeping faithfulness with God. And if that were the case, everyone would fail. Everyone would have failed, and the history of the world would have been the sad parade of every man, woman, and child who ever lived failing in sin and, and filling Sheol to the full and heaven would stand empty. Because God did do it this way and made salvation based on faith in Jesus and what he's done for us, it means that salvation is within the reach of anyone. Salvation is in with the reach of anyone who would trust in what Jesus has done for us instead of our own works. And his righteousness is imputed, is given to us as a gift. That's what makes it not just fair, but merciful, but gracious. Anybody can become a humble dog and live forever in the heavenly realms with Jesus and escape fate of being a dead lion. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would apply it to our hearts, that you would strengthen us, Lord. Man, the truth is that life is short. Lord, we know, all of us know people that that died suddenly. For those of us who know you, Lord, we are so grateful to know your word, to know the gospel, to know that we do not look forward to judgment because Jesus has already taken our judgment for us on the cross for us. We look back to judgment. We look forward to eternal life. But we pray that you would put a fire under us to reach out in these little networks that you've placed us in in our vocational ministry to reach those people who do not know you or to reach those people who think they know you, but they don't. Lord, give us a heart for that and help us to sacrifice. Help us to have good balance in our lives, Lord, but help us 
to be tireless in seeking the lost and sharing this beauty of eternal life that you've given with us, Lord. We pray that you would continue to humble us, that we would love one another, that we would celebrate all the blessings that you've given us and enjoy life and praise your name while we do it and enjoy all the beauty and blessing of this life, that we would embrace the trials that you give us as those means by which you are bringing us into even more blessing and even more like Jesus, which is ultimately what we want. And we pray, Lord, that we would be found on that day when you come to get us rejoicing and praising your holy name for the salvation that we have in Jesus, for all the blessings you've given us as we await that final day, uh, and for the fact that you have come to get us, Lord. So be with us, strengthen us, help us to glorify you in all we do. We pray this in Jesus' name.